Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, welcome to episode number 83 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. You can find the detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 83. Okay, so let me first mention the elephant in the room. I am obviously not using my regular mic today, and I apologize for the sound quality. I am having all kinds of problems getting my software to recognize the mic. I'm not sure what's going on, but after 20, 25 minutes of messing with this, I had to get this episode done for you guys and wanted to get it out the door. So I'm using my built-in mic and I apologize for the sound quality again, but I figured, hey, you know what, let me get you some good content and hopefully by the next episode, we'll be back to normal. So today we're going to do something a little different and something I haven't done in quite a while. I think maybe even over a year or so since I've taken questions from from you guys and just uh, address them head on. And in fact, I'd love to know in the comments area if this is something you think is is helpful. If I do this every once in a while, just kind of an open it up, open it up for questions. I sent out a survey about a week ago, week and a half ago. And um, I asked you guys to let me know, you know, what, what's on your mind? What questions can I address in an upcoming show? And I had some great responses. In fact, so many that um, I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. So what I've done is I've taken the, um, not necessarily the best ones, but the ones that either I get asked quite a bit about or the ones that, you know, are really interesting. And I've never had anyone ask about this or ask about it this way. So it's kind of a mix of, of, of both of those uh, criteria to come up with uh, 13, 14 or so that I could fit in, into one show. And again, if this is helpful, I'd be happy to do this again in the future. So um, I don't want to really create a lot of fanfare here. I'm just going to jump right into it. And these are in no particular order. The first question that I had on my list here is from Daniela. And Daniela says... What is the best way to balance a startup business with working full-time, especially the copywriting clients are the people you interact with for work? My writing prospects are the suppliers whose equipment I specify as part of my job as an engineer. How do I have conversations with them without overstepping my bounds and upsetting my boss? Should I tell my boss about my business? So several things going on here, several questions this is this is a, a great question and and I'm glad you asked Daniela so. The, the first thing I would do is, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard for me to give you kind of a blanket answer. Uh, in terms of, let's start with the last question. Should I tell my boss about my business? It depends on your relationship with your boss. It depends on how you think your company, your employer feels about you doing something on the side. Um, I can tell you from, you know, my own experience, my own situation, I didn't go out of my way to tell my employer what I was doing until I would say... It was about a year and a half into it, and it, it, it came at a point where I was generating enough part-time income from my side freelance business that um, I felt comfortable talking about it. Uh, I should also tell you that I had a great relationship with my boss, someone that I 
respected very, very much. In fact, we still stay in touch. I just one of my favorite people in the world. He's an incredible guy. I consider him a mentor um, and um, just a top-rate guy. So even, even with that kind of relationship, I wanted to be very cautious for a couple of reasons. Number one, in my line of work, I was in software sales. Uh, I was judged quarterly, actually even monthly. And if my performance suffered, um, I didn't want it to be because, or I didn't want it to be seen as something that was suffering because of my side business. So I waited, number one, until I had enough steady business that I could talk comfortably about it and let my boss see that, look, this is, this is serious. This is not a hobby. This is not, you know, some kind of fluke. Um, I'm, you know, and I think I was earning about 2000 a month um, from, from the side business. He was really impressed by that. Uh, so no, that, number one. Number two, um, I was doing really well. My sales were, were growing. Uh, I was exceeding my quotas. So I was in a good place. I, I came from a position of strength where I could tell him and I could show him, look, this is not impacting my work. My work here in this company is number one. This will always come first. This is something I'm doing in my spare time or the time that I'm making available weekends, evenings, you know, early mornings before I start work. So that was the first thing. In terms of who you could approach, I would hesitate to approach suppliers who, uh, with whom you have influence, uh, in, in specifically the nature of the influence you specified, right? So you you actually specify their equipment as part of your job as an engineer, I think it could be seen as a conflict of interest if you approach them uh, with, uh, with, with potentially doing some work for them, paid work for them. So I would, I would not go that route at first. Uh, I would encourage you to tap your network, first of all, tap relationships that are non-competing, non-related, directly related to your work. Uh, I know that may not be the best area because this may not be where you have domain expertise. It may not be where you have the strongest relationship, but I would start there. Um, and then in terms of your work relationships, I would start where it wouldn't impact your, um, your work or it wouldn't create a conflict of interest. The way you've described it to me here, it just feels like it could get weird and um, it could put your suppliers in a very difficult spot because they want to help you out at the same time. You know, they, they don't want to be uh, or look like they were influenced by that. So you have to be really careful. I mean, I was in a very similar situation myself. I had a lot of relationships that were tied directly to my employer. But again, because I waited a while before I told my boss, I didn't want to, to, to tap those. So I had to go uh, to other places, other areas of my network, and I had to do a lot of cold prospecting. And um, you know what? It's a little bit harder, but it does have some advantages. So you're not necessarily known there. Um, so you could, um, you know, I think you have a little bit more leeway in terms of the number of people you contact so you can make up the quality of the conversion, converting leads from to, to clients, you can make that up in volume. You can do direct mail campaigns. You could do warm email uh, efforts. So I think there's some advantages there. The other thing is if you go out of state, 
uh, or out of town, you don't get into the situation where you're expected to come in and, and meet with, with a prospect. So that, that was another thing that I wanted. I wanted to prospect heavily out of state because I, I wanted to avoid a lot of in-person meetings because, again, I had a full-time day job. So I couldn't afford to, to spend that kind of time during a day, during work hours. Okay, the second question comes from Linda. And Linda asks, from your book and your warm emailing course, what is the best first step for marketing your new writing business? Well, the first step is, frankly, it's just to get started. I mean, start telling people what you do. And even one step before that, I would give some thought to how you're going to position yourself. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but it bears repeating. You need to clearly define whom you can best serve. In other words, your target market. This is the group that I can best serve. It does not necessarily need to be an industry. It can be described many different ways. It could be described by you know a need they might have or a common attribute, um, anything like that. So this is who I can best serve, and this is what makes me different to that audience when it comes to the services that I provide. Um, it should also include what kind of work you do, and I would just describe that simply. And then in terms of the difference, uh, what makes you different, make sure you explain why that matters. You know, why is that a benefit? So um, think, give some thought to your positioning. Don't overthink it. You have to start somewhere. It's better to start uh, and to just start having those conversations. And, um, and then the next thing I would say is tap your network. I mentioned that uh, in response to Daniela's question before. Tap your network. Uh, People always cringe when I tell them that. So, well, I don't really know a lot of people. I don't, I don't feel comfortable tapping my network. Um, I'll give you a little hint. When it comes to the people you know personally and professionally, um, don't ask them for work, even if you think they could hire you directly. Instead, ask them for a referral. Hey, Cindy, who, would you, who do you know who meets this description? And, and just explain it in plain terms. This is what I do. This is, this is why I'm a little different. This is who I can best serve. You know, do you happen to know someone in your network who fits this criteria? Now, I will tell you right off the bat, most people, when you tap your network, aren't going to be able to help you. They want to help you. They're happy for you, but they're not going to be able to help you. Do not get discouraged. What you're looking for is that one golden nugget in your network who gets it or gets it well enough that they can refer you to someone who might be able to hire you directly or might have a conversation with you and then they might refer you to somebody else. My biggest client uh, ever and my longest running client came from a conversation that I had with a friend of, a of my wife, not a wife, <laughs> a friend of my wife. I didn't know her that well, okay? So I knew her through my wife. My wife hadn't even talked to her for two or three years. So I reached out to her. She couldn't help me directly, but she referred me to a good friend of hers who referred me to a good friend of hers. So I don't even remember how many degrees of separation that was, but that was a lot. To put it in perspective, that client was with me for seven years. They started with me in 2005. I was with them for seven years, and they helped me generate almost $200,000 in income as a freelancer over that seven-year period, okay? Came from a friend of a friend of a friend. I mean, that's just insane. So ask for referrals. And um, that's a really good way to, um, to bypass the whole you know, weirdness factor when reaching out to people you know. Julia has the next question. She asks, I'd love some help in converting followers or fans that I have conversations with on Twitter into paying customers. I do a lot of Twitter marketing, and I find that I have trouble doing this. 
You may want to talk about how to convert from social media generally, though I'm looking for tips on converting from Twitter, if that makes a difference. It's a great question. Um, so for those of you, and I would say I, most, most freelancers aren't doing, from what I've seen, heavy social media marketing. Certainly some social media marketing going on there, but you know, Julia is doing this a little bit more aggressively. The biggest suggestion I can give you, Julia, is to create some sort of lead magnet. You gotta get people to your website and to raise their hand and request something from you. Now, um, you gotta figure out, okay, what kind of information would my ideal audience be interested enough to download that they would be willing to give me their email address and their first name? Um, the biggest, the biggest hint I will give you is don't make it about how to write X. Okay. Um, what you do when, when you put out information out there about, okay, well, here's how to write uh, a case study or a white paper or whatever is most of the time, the people who are going to request that are going to be colleagues. It's going to be other writers and copywriters. So um, instead, think about how you can make their jobs easier. And a good way to start is by just asking your current clients, hey, you know, when it comes to um, the kind of work I do, you know, what do you wonder about? I mean, like, how can I help you? What questions do you have? Um, and, and then, you know, ask some open-ended questions and, and see if you find some, some common topics or questions. Um, and then maybe do some brainstorming and then come back to them and say, you know, if, if I created hypothetically, you know, a quick tip sheet uh, on this topic, do you think that's something that your, you or your colleagues would be interested in? Would you download this? Just ask them. Um, so, so that's one thing. The second thing is make sure that it's not, you know, something crazy long or crazy dense. Uh, it's counterintuitive, but what I'm finding is clients, prospects, they want something that can be consumed immediately. No, they're not necessarily looking for new information. Number one, if they're going to download something, they're just curious about what you have to say. That's the first thing. Um, they're, they're not there to learn. And at least in this market, business to business, you're selling a professional service. They're not there to learn necessarily new information as much as they're just curious about what's your take on things. Um, they're going to skim whatever you send them. So there's no point in trying to put together a 20-page report. I would be focusing on checklists, uh, process maps, tip sheets, that sort of, of thing. Something that could be consumed immediately um, and would be helpful and, and practical or insightful to, to a client of yours. So do that, you know, get people into your world by offering something and social media is a great place, obviously to spread the word for that. Sandra had the next question. She asked on your podcast with Bob Lai, you briefly talked about doubling your efforts when it comes to marketing. How do you quantify that? Do you do two X more of what's worked in the past only? Do you integrate new tactics into the mix? What constitutes a double effort when you're still trying to stabilize your monthly income? It's a great question because I've talked about this a lot before, but I never really gave specifics on it. So I'm glad Sandra called me on this. Um, and the answer is, I, there is no answer. <laughs> so the reason that this, when, when Bob talked about this in, in a CD course that I bought from him, gosh, back in 2003, and really the story um, that, that, I've, that, that I've shared with you guys before is, the, the biggest takeaway from this whole, and he had so much content there and it was all great, but the biggest takeaway that, that impacted my career was, look, figure out what you think you need to do, 
to meet your goal and then double that. The biggest takeaway for me was that we always underestimate what we can accomplish in a short amount of time. We've all heard that, that saying, right? We underestimate what we can do in a short period of time, or we overestimate rather what we can do in a short period of time, but underestimate what we can do in the long term. So I found that he was right. Um, up until that point, I was doing what I thought was a decent amount of work. Um, but I wasn't getting the results that, that I was expecting. So um, I found that it was that that was the key is, OK, what feels comfortable? What feels right to me? I wasn't consciously thinking about that. That's not how I was arriving in my formula for effort. But when I was honest with myself, I realized, you know what? It's based on what I think I can do and what I can fit into my schedule. And what I could fit into my schedule, what felt comfortable enough, what felt like good enough, um, I realized wasn't. So I started doubling, or that was at least the, the intention, doubling the effort, doubling the focus. Now, can I measure that? No, I really couldn't. I would say most of the time I, I couldn't. It just meant that whatever answer I came up with, I would double it. Now, what started happening, I do know this, is there came a time where I got used to this new level of effort. And at that point, it became very, very difficult to double that, right? Because that became my new norm. And when that happens, you'll know. I mean, you, you will. You'll just, you'll have the work. Um, you'll be busy. Um, you just aren't going to need to double that effort yet again. Just you want to kind of maintain that effort as best as you can. So the answer is, I couldn't measure it. There's just no way I could, but it was just more of a philosophical wake-up call. It was a mindset thing to make me realize and shine a light on the fact that, look, I'm doing what's left over. Whatever time I have left, that's what I'm going to dedicate to prospecting, for instance. And I realized I can't do it that way. That has to come first, right? That's the one thing that I have to really hit hard on and, and then fit other activities of my business in, into the mix. But that has to come first, and it has to be more than feels comfortable to me. Carla asked, I want to write articles for trade or professional journals. I want to focus on the ones that, A, my potential writing clients read, and she says I have a target market to find, and B, the pay for a bylined article. I'm aware of the process of submitting a letter of introduction, but I'm not sure how to find these journals. I'm also aware that these journals do not pay a lot, but the work can be steady. Okay, so a couple of ideas there. Uh, first of all, Carla, my suggestion would be to, uh, well, first you got to define what you want out of this effort. Um, the feeling I got when I read your question, and I'm just going to guess here, but is that you're trying to get business. You're trying to get exposure that's going to drive traffic to your website, potential clients who will hopefully eventually hire you. And if that is your biggest objective for this effort, and I suspect it is, I would forget about B. I would forget about looking for publications that will pay for a bylined article. Um, here's the thing. You're, if, if you're doing this as a thought leadership exercise, if you're doing this to get your uh, name out there and get exposure and drive traffic, to your to your website and position yourself as a as a as an expert in in your industry or in your field, then you can't go after paid placings. You have to do it for free. 
and the value you get is in the exposure. So I think there's a mixture, at least that's what I'm reading into your question. There's a, you have dual objectives that are somewhat incompatible. So my focus would be, look, let's, let me figure out in terms of my writing clients, what publications do they read? You know, um, and just make sure that the people who would hire you would read those. So let me give you an example. Um, if it's a technical magazine, you want to make sure that it's not just the technical people reading it, but in your case, the marketing directors and managers and the marketing organization, the people in the marketing organization are also reading that publication. Okay. So just make sure of that. Secondly, um, the, the best way I found, um, to research publications and define names of some that I've never even heard of is Google. I type in the industry name, for instance, and then the word magazine. Start there. You'll start coming up. It's just amazing how many uh, trade journals uh, are out there. I found that using the word journal doesn't work as well as magazine. So, for instance, um, green tech or green energy, sustainable energy, any of those words, magazine. Do that and you'll start coming up with ideas. This is kind of a tedious process. But um, this is how you find these publications. Once you're there, go uh, through their site and you, you want to look at the page that talks about um, whether or not they take um, guest articles. And if so, what the criteria and the submission process is, is all about. And then you want to follow that and make sure you contact the editor the way they want to be contacted. Um, that's been the advice. I haven't done a ton of that, I'll be honest with you. But... I know several colleagues who uh, who have done this very, very well, and that's the advice they, they give. Um, one, one thing that they've told me is, look, come to them with a couple of ideas. You know, be a resource for them. Your goal at that point is just to land something. You want to land one article. Once you, do ama- you land that, do amazing work, and then you're in the door. Okay? And then you have a place where you can come back to and pitch some other ideas. So your goal is not necessarily to get a whole string of them. Your goal is to get in the door. But again, going back to my original suggestion, try um, to focus on just getting, uh, doing these pieces as a credibility builder, as a way to get your name out there, to get the exposure and to get that traffic uh, to your website um, with with traffic from, from people who could potentially hire you. Isabel has the next question. She asks, what reactions from prospects should send alarm bells ringing in her head? <laughs> um, I think a lot of the, the reactions, comments, or questions from a prospect depend on what kind of work you do. However, I would say that um, there, there's a couple for me. One of them is if they're, if they're sending in an email inquiry, and they're telling me or strongly suggesting that they're going around and just pricing this out, that they're reaching out to a bunch of other people um, to get pricing. That is, is a huge red flag for me because if that's the way they're approaching it, and they're just treating me as another, uh, as another body or as a column fodder, right? They're trying to fill columns in a spreadsheet and, and you know, make this more of a pricing game. I'm just not going to be even close. I mean, because I can't compete on price alone. So that's the first thing. Um, another thing for me is something they say that it's very obvious that they don't understand the value of marketing content or of copywriting or basically fill in the blank, right? The work you do. Um, 
there are many business models and industries where it makes perfect sense for you to educate your prospect from scratch and just educate them until they're actually ready to buy from you. And now they, they get it. They get that value. They're willing to pay for it. When you're a solo professional and especially a creative professional, you just don't have the time or the resources to educate people uh, to get to that level. They have to come pre-sold on the idea of hiring an outside writer or copywriter uh, and the value that, that will provide their company. They just, they just do. Uh, I'm not saying that you know, their idea of what they were willing to pay um, has to be high, but they have to, they have to understand that this is a skill that's, that costs money. This is a professional service. A prof and, and if you're looking for, for professionals who can do a great job, it's, it's going to cost more than just, you know, a couple hundred bucks, uh, or worse yet, more than the five or $10. Right. So, um, I think those are the two biggest ones. Um, and from there, it's just more of the nuanced comments they might make. And that's more related to the specific type of writing you do, the specific industry, um, and other factors that, you know, you, you are on the lookout for. Michael asks, do you see a trend for writing budgets getting lower and clients trying to squeeze writers to accept lower fees? Yes, I do. Um, I really do. But let me qualify that statement. I certainly see that kind of pricing pressure in the what I call the bargain basement segment of the market. I think it's a big mistake to look at the writing or copywriting market, the commercial writing market, is one big bucket. Um, I think there's actually several buckets, and just like buckets do, there are constraints, there are walls uh, or borders around each of these buckets. Um, it doesn't mean that prospects can hop from one to another. It just means that you got to be mindful about which bucket or segment of the market you're playing in or competing in. So bargain basement, I mean, I think the, the name says it all, right? That this is where, this is the cheap stuff. This is the, you know, the 10, $20 articles all the way to, you know, websites for a couple hundred bucks. Um, you know, it could be even higher than that, but we're talking, you know, maybe 10, 20% of the fee that, um, that a professional, uh, we would charge in, in the higher paying markets. Okay. So five, uh, even five, five to 20% of not less five to 20% of professional level rates. Now, um, that will continue to get commoditized. Okay. There is no doubt about it. There's an incredible thirst for content. I don't need to explain that to you guys. It's just the way it is. Um, and the only way to quench that thirst is by more and more writers and in many cases technology really artificial intelligence and there's there's technology already out there that can produce pretty darn good decent content i mean it just it's that's where things are okay um so there is pricing pressure but you know if you guys listen to the pod this podcast i hope you're more ambitious than that i hope that you're not willing to stick in this market, this might be an okay place to start. And sometimes you got to kind of dip your toe here. You got to do what you got to do to keep the lights on. You have to move away from this market, period. This is no way to, to run a business. You will burn out very, 
very quickly. I don't care if you do this full time. I don't care if you do this for five hours a week. It has nothing to do with what you want to earn on an annual basis. It has everything to do with how you value your time, your expertise, your insights, your perspective, right? How you value yourself. So even if you only work this business a couple hours a week, it's about making those two hours really, really count. It's about maximizing the value you extract out of that time and energy. So the bargain basement market is definitely getting squeezed. Um, the next level is what I call the, uh, the well, I have several names for it, but this is where it's going to be kind of the vendor, vendor marketplace where a, a prospect will shop around a little bit, right? They might contact three different writers, for instance. There's definitely pricing pressure there is not as high. Um, and where you want to be is in the next level up. It's in the trusted advisor uh, segment. Now, don't let the name confuse you. I'm not talking about being a consultant necessarily, but the reason I like to call it the trusted advisor segment of the market is that this is where you're seen as much more than a writer. You're not just typing words um, you know, on a, on a blank page. You are providing much more than that. You're providing insights. You're providing ideas. Um, you get it. Like You can almost get inside of your prospects or your client's head and, and understand what they're trying to do. You're much more strategic than someone who's just writing whatever they're told, okay? And the more nuanced and targeted you can be, the less pricing pressure there will be, period. I mean, it just across the board, I see it every day. The writers who are doing well are the ones who have clearly defined whom they can best serve and what makes them different to that market. And I'll tell you more, also, those writers tend to be really good about communicating this simple fact. Uh, their real value is not so much in their writing. Their real value is in all the other intangibles they bring to the table. You know, the ideas. And I mentioned this a few seconds ago, right? The ideas, the perspective, the knowledge, the ability to solve problems, right? And to help the client out beyond just the words. Okay? That, and, and the ability to come into the project with a lot of background information and knowledge and perspective, um, right? If you already know a lot about working in professional service, professional services organizations, either because you've worked with a lot of them or because that's the world you came from, you know, that's worth a heck of a lot more than, you know what, I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning author. You know, to, to the client who's really trying to get something done and trying to make an impact in the professional services space, and and they need great marketing content for that audience. The the fact that you know that audience really really well, that's a lot more important than your writing chops. Yes, you're expected to be a good writer, but there there's a level of writing ability that you know once you kind of meet or surpass that, you get diminishing returns in terms of your ability to leverage the the improved performance or the improved skills or the awards that you've received. Okay. So yes, there's definitely pricing pressure, but don't look at the market as a whole. Look at it as a series of buckets. You want to make sure you are competing in the right bucket. Jane asks, do you have ideas on combining business writing or copywriting with other career or business options? I'm working on a nonprofit project right now. And my writing skills have come in handy, but I'm not sure I want to write full time. I'd be curious to hear how you or others have perhaps leveraged your writing skills to create a more unique work portfolio. 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, in fact, I know uh, there are a lot of people in my audience who, hey, you know, they don't want to write all the time. They, they, they want more variety in their work. The first thing that comes to mind is you need to incorporate some sort of consulting into your, into your services. So if you can add um, any level of consulting, whether it's you know, marketing campaign consulting, messaging, positioning type consulting, uh, SEO, my colleague Diana Huff, for instance, no longer positions herself as a copywriter. Um, she positions herself as a consultant, and, I, and I, I'm not, her website's not in front of me, so uh, I hope Diana, if she's listening, forgives me for this, but she positions herself as a marketing professional who works with family-owned manufacturing companies, small to mid-sized manufacturing companies. She knows that world extremely well. I know this is going back to uh, Mike's earlier question. She knows that business extremely well. She's worked with a lot of family-owned manufacturers she can add a tremendous amount of value there because of her experiences in working with those types of businesses. So it's that consulting piece. It's the, the advice. It's the, the insights you can provide. So you can really build a very nice business that requires maybe, you know, 30% writing and the other 70% is in the advising side of things. Um, you know, you could put together campaigns for them, lead generation campaigns, lead nurturing campaigns. Some of that is actual writing, but the other is the strategy. You know, you're providing strategy. Now, my advice is when it comes to strategy, let's, let's talk about that. Because uh, there are a lot of people who I know, hey, I just I really want to focus on the strategy. I think that's great. My experience has been that it's easier to get in the door in many cases with the tactical stuff. So specifically, it's easier to get in the door with the writing work. Once you're in, it's much easier to then look for other opportunities to provide strategic value and offer strategic services to that client. It's very hard to get in the door with a strategy. And um, this is not just in my case, I've tried it. I've worked with several coaching clients. I have colleagues who have tried the same thing. It's very, very difficult to get in the door that way. Uh, you have to have, it's, just a, it's a different model. I'm not saying it cannot be done, but the easiest way, the lowest risk way is to get in the door with the writing and then um, look for other opportunities to provide strategy and consulting. Now, what happens is once you build that, uh, that street credibility, that following and that track record as a consultant and strategist, then it becomes a little easier to get in the door with those things. But in, in terms of progression, that's the way I would approach it. Start with tactical, get in the door, start looking for opportunities to provide other services and then build a reputation around those services and then you can start leading with some of those um, higher level services. Um, the next question comes from Matt. He says, I am so busy, what should I do? The classic advice of course is to raise your prices and don't worry about, the, about clients that can't pay. Here's the problem. The clients that pay the least right now are the most fun, easiest to work with and the most visible or public. It is these journalism clients that lead to the high pay white paperwork that is less fun and more compromising of myself. So advice on making tough trade-offs. Um, so here, here's the way I'm reading this, and hopefully I read it correctly. Matt's saying, look, um, I'm busy, and but I'm not earning enough. So if I'm gonna be this busy, I want to improve my, my income. The problem is that the, um, the people I really like working with don't pay that much. However, the reason I take them is because they are good names. They give me a lot of credibility and, and help me get in the door 
with other companies that pay more, but I don't really like that work. So I think there's a really a bigger question here, which has to do, and he even mentioned it, trade-offs. Sometimes it is a trade-off. Many times it's not. I think the biggest thing you could do, and this is for anybody, is to figure out what's really important to you. You know, is it, are you looking to maximize your income? Uh, are you looking for fun work, right, with fun people? Uh, you know, it's, sometimes you can do both, but it's, it, it is a useful exercise to ask yourself, if I had to choose one or the other, which one would come first? And I can't tell by my, my Matt's question which one is more important to him. It sounds like, you know, the fun factor is very important to him. Um, I, I do think there's an opportunity here. Without knowing all the details, I can't really give you very specific advice. But I think there's an opportunity to dig deeper into the accounts that you really enjoy working with and see if you can provide a higher level of service there. Um, and if not, then, okay, how can I find more like them? But then start all over, right? Because sometimes it's hard to really increase your prices significantly with existing clients. But what if I can find others with the same attributes and start at a higher level with the first project? You know, um, that might mean that you have to let one of the other ones go. That's lower paying. And I have been in many situations, not many, but I've been in a few where I told the client, listen, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to move on. I just, I can't continue to, to do this at these rates, these projects. And the client has, has agreed to, you know, to go up to my, my new, my new rates or, or fees. So I, I would follow your heart here, but be smart about it. You know, um, it's important to work with clients that, that are fun, but you know, at the same, same time, you got to make sure that um, if you're going to work really hard, that you're maximizing your, your time and your resources. So I don't necessarily think it's a trade-off. I think it's just the way you value yourself and the way you, you see your value and the way you communicate that value. And sometimes it's about making really tough choices and, you know, letting go some that you just, you know, you love working with them, but you can't pay the bills that way. So sometimes making room uh, by saying no, or let me rephrase that. Sometimes when you say no and walk away from deals that just aren't good for you anymore, you make room for better opportunities, as tough and as scary as it might be to do so. Barb asks, I've been trying to start for a couple of years now. I've studied and studied and bought courses and reports and books. How do I get myself in gear and get going? Website first? I must take the first step today. I know my niche. Okay, so the first thing I could tell you here, Barb, is just start. Start, you know, the um, motivational speaker and strategist Jim Rohn used to say, if you want to know where to start, go outside, find a rock, throw it up in the air, and wherever it lands, start there. <laughs> start start anywhere. You know, I, I think, in, uh, don't feel bad, Barb. I mean, I what you just described, I see a lot. Um, there are a lot of professional students out there. Um, there's comfort in taking another course and reading more information and absorbing new ideas. I get it. You know, it's easier to read a new book. It's easier to take another course than it is to put yourself out there in prospect for clients. I get it. I get it. Unfortunately, to make it in this business, to even stand a chance, you have to put yourself out there. It is uncomfortable. The fact that it is uncomfortable is a good sign. In fact, I would tell you as you, as you grow... When things start feeling very comfortable, it's time to start doing the uncomfortable again. 
so the first thing I would say, look, just, just start. Um, what you asked about website, sure. If you don't have a website, fine, do that first. That's a good first step. However, give yourself a deadline. You know, today is Monday. By Friday, I'm gonna have a website up. You know, there's lots of very intuitive and cost-effective website builders out there. Uh, strikingly.com, squarespace.com. Um, just um, go, go out there and, and get started. It's the, the best thing you could do is just start and start today. Angus asked, I'm a content writer who's always been curious about adding copywriting to my business. What are the pros and cons, the earning potential strategies for adding copywriting? Well, it's um, here's what I would say, Angus. It's a big question. The pros generally is that you can generally earn more from copywriting work than you can from marketing content work, okay, generally speaking. Uh, it's also, depending on, on your personality, depending on what, you know, what you, your preferences are, uh, it can be more fun. You know, it just depends. Everyone's different there. I like a variety. I like to have both. I like to have some copywriting work. I like to have some content work. Um, and, um, the earning potential, I've talked about earning potential. Um, it can also make you a little bit more marketable because you can offer uh, a couple of skill sets to, to clients. But you know what? Um, I've also found that it could be limiting too. Sometimes a client hires you for one thing and they see you as the person for that thing. And then, let's say marketing content. It's very hard to get them to see you as a copywriter. So that, you know, for many clients, that, that could be an obstacle. Um, Having said that, here's what I would what I would encourage you to do. Um, I, I would go for it. I mean, it's a skill that it's not going to be a waste of time. You're going to learn a lot. It's definitely a valuable skill and a good project or a type of project to start with or start offering in terms of copywriting is website copywriting. Um, you know, every business out there has a website. Every business that you want to go after, at least, and um, you know, it's it's something that you can learn fairly easily. And um, it, it's kind of, I think, the middle ground between marketing content and, cop and pure direct response copywriting. So it's, it's a happy medium. It's kind of a good gateway uh, project, if you will. And um, yeah, so, so I, would, I would look at that. Now, the other thing I would tell you, and, and not too many people really say this, but it's, it's very true. And I know some people, some of my colleagues disagree about this. But it is much easier to get in the door with a client with con marketing content work than it is with copywriting work, with pure copywriting work. I found that it's, you know, pure copywriting work, they either like to do that in-house, those are the projects they can actually do themselves. I mean, think about this, you know, what's easier to do, to write a, you know, 100-word lead generation email or to write a six-page white paper, right? If you work in cubicle hell, which one is easier for you? Okay, I think the email, right? That's actually a little bit of fun. It's it's, it's quick copy. It's fun. It's, it's punchy. Um, or many times they'll they'll have someone uh, who who want, like a staff writer. That's what they prefer to do. Or an agency. They they do a lot of the copywriting for them. Uh, but what they nobody wants to touch, and I'm just generalizing here, is the content marketing work. So I find that it's much easier to get in the door with content marketing, and then once you're in. Uh, you can explore different copywriting opportunities. Hey, Bill, did you know that I also, you know, offer web copywriting services? So, you know, once you're trusted there, once they know and trust you, it's it's much easier to have that conversation and, and maybe land a project that way.
Okay, um, I've got a couple more questions and we'll wrap up. Uh, so the first one is from Nelson. He asks, sometimes it's hard to find freelance copywriting projects, but sometimes it's not. You know the old adage, when it rains, it pours. What do you do when you swamp with work for the foreseeable future, but you don't want to turn any of it down? Well, there's that's a great question. Um, actually has a lot of different uh, possible solutions. Uh, one of them is to, this this could be a time to start looking at your clients and figure out, well, who do I want to keep? You know, uh, Many people who are in that situation still have clients from years before who, are, who aren't paying anywhere near what they're earning with new clients. And that's just a decision you're going to have to make. Is it time to let them go? Uh, or, you know, is it time to raise my fees? What do I want to do here? Um, the other thing is, you know, sometimes we assume that clients are willing to wait. And many times I've found that clients are willing to wait, you know, just because you're three, you got a three to four week backlog doesn't mean that they aren't willing to do that. So sometimes it's just a matter of asking them, hey, listen, I'm, I'm book solid for the next four weeks. Um, I'd love to take this on. I know I'd do a great job for you. Um, what's your timing like, you know, and how set is that deadline? Just ask them. Uh, you'd be surprised what, what they say. And by the way, the other benefit of that is it can make you more attractive to them. Wow, man, good for you. Uh, almost every time I've had to say that, and by the way, you know, be honest with this, be ethical. Every time I've had to say it, clients, and I didn't expect this, but they said, man, Ed, that's, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm really happy for you. You know what? Yeah, we could, we could probably wait. Um, you know, can we get started on this part? And maybe it's something that I can actually start doing sooner. Um, but, but maybe the main part of the project, I, I can't like maybe, you know, kind of a kickoff call or something like that. Um, and then the other thing, and this is more of a long-term solution is consider, you know, hiring a junior writer to, to help you out and do kind of the grunt work, uh, depending on what kind of writing you do, but there, there are opportunities out there to bring someone on board who could, uh, who could help you do some of the, the grunt work. You can come in at the beginning. Uh, provide direction, you know, uh, provide the outline, uh, all the background information, et cetera, and then have them go to work and then come in on the back end and, you know, help do the editing and, and polishing and all that. So that, you know, the, again, depending on the type of work you do, I will tell you, it's not as easy as it sounds. I found ways of doing it that, that actually work. The hardest thing is finding the right person, um, that some, someone who could write uh, in, in, using your, your own tone and, and kind of sticking to your style. But that's definitely another opportunity to look into and it allows you to really leverage yourself and um, potentially multiply your income significantly. And then Mandy had the last question. She asked, what are some questions to ask a new client that will help them come up with good ideas for content? So my best advice there would be to uh, ask if you can interview their salespeople, you know, a couple other salespeople. Salespeople are usually plugged in in a big way with what's going on in the marketplace. You know, what are their prospects saying? You know, what are the objections? And the questions really boil down to, you know, what are customers and prospects complaining about in terms of their challenges? As it relates to, of course, the products and services you offer. Like, what are their pain points? What are the biggest ones? What are you hearing out there? Um, another question would be, okay, what are your good prospects out there? What are they seeing or not seeing in other words like how are they seeing their problem you know how are they seeing the potential solutions to that problem and why are they missing the mark or not missing the mark those kinds of things and then from that alone so ask open-ended questions like that of their salespeople 
from that alone, um, you could come up with tons of, of topic ideas. But yeah, it's there are many ways of doing this. I personally like to ask to go straight to the Salesforce and get a lot of useful intelligence that way. Just ask them to open up, you know, and help them feel comfortable opening up to you, asking them these questions. You know, salespeople want to be heard. I've, I've been a sales a salesperson before, and you know, I can tell you, I've felt many times like marketing people just don't. They don't care. They don't. Um, they're kind of living in their own little world. So, if a marketing person came to me and they sincerely wanted to know, hey, you know, I need to understand this market better. You know, your prospects better. Tell us. You know, I want to help you with some marketing materials that will actually work. What What are the concerns? You know, what are they complaining about? What are their pain points? What are they seeing? How are they seeing their problems? What's their perception of their problems and the ways to solve them? You know, why is that wrong or why is that right? And um, yeah, so, so that would be that would be my general advice to you. So, folks, I, I wanted to keep this podcast kind of uh, tracked with the other shows, kind of the 45 minute mark. And I'm a little bit over. So I hope it was helpful. I hope you you enjoyed this format. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you in the comments section. And again, that's b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 83. And before I sign off, I wanted to let you know that I've just published a blueprint titled Five proven yet overlooked ways to land freelance work fast without a ton of effort, fancy tricks, or expensive campaigns. And this blueprint includes a PDF guide and an accompanying audio tutorial. And you can request a free copy if you go to bit.ly.com forward slash land work fast. All together in all lowercase. So bit.ly is B as in boy, I as in indigo, T as in Tom, L as in Larry, Y as in yes dot com bitly.com forward slash land work fast and i'll include a link to that in the show notes i'll make that available uh just for a few days so make sure to grab it uh now while you're thinking about it and uh, you know what that's that's the end of the episode uh, i'm your host ed gandia thank you so much for listening hope you'll tune in next time and have yourself an awesome day take care the High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.